The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. key part of the story we heard last week was about this, this stone that was cut, not from the hand of man, but um, in this dream, this what Daniel's trying to explain to him, is this stone is going to destroy this kingdom, this kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar is, is dreaming of. And this very stone that destroyed this, this stone will become a mountain that will take over the earth. And as we looked at this passage last week, we, we saw that there's hope. We saw that as we are in a weary world and there's seems like there's kingdoms all around us that are taking over. Sometimes it's our own idols. It's our own experiences. It's, it's our own selfishness uh, that it's not strong. It doesn't last. But there is a stone. There's a cornerstone. There's a keystone. There's a capstone in Jesus Christ that we can lean on, that we can stand on, that we can build our lives from. And this is the hope. This is how we can rejoice because God is doing some Work And it was in this season that the people of God were in bondage once again. If you've been with us this semester, we've been uh, studying about the, the people of God being in bondage in Egypt. Uh, last week, we talked about them being bondage in Babylon. And today, well, we get to talk about them being out of that bondage. And we're going to be looking at the last book of the Old Testament. So we skipped pretty quickly. Exodus, Daniel, boom, Malachi, done, right? I know we're going through the Old Testament pretty quick, but in Malachi, we're looking at another season of post being in exile, how the people of God will relate and um, respond to God and God's expectations. So I don't know if you know much about Malachi at the moment. My hope is by the end of the next 30 minutes, you'll be pretty informed, at least at a basic level, about the book of Malachi. But my my thoughts today as we walk in, and the month of December is full of highs and full of really low lows. And I don't know how you're coming into church today, if you barely made it, if you're coming in hope-filled, or you're coming just because church normally makes you feel good, or at least you know there's this, um, there's this rhythm for you that when you do come to church, um, it, it, it's, it's right and you want, you want to do what's right today. Or somebody drug you here today, and you didn't want to be here, but you're like, my friend asked me, so I came. But I don't know if you're coming in where um, the bills are piling up. I don't know if you're coming in where the sickness is piling up. I don't know if you're coming in where um, people around you are hurt, and they're blaming you, and blame is piling up. But my hope is, if there's a weariness, you're in the right place. Because this is part of our life here as we are in the kingdom of God, but also the kingdom of God yet to come. There is a weariness that we are in, but the, the joy of our faith is that there can be rejoicing within a weary world. So my hope is that you will find hope and peace this Advent season. Um, Malachi. Uh, this last book of the Old Testament, if you don't know where it's at, uh, maybe you know where Matthew is, you turn back a page, and that's where we're at today. So Malachi was the last of the Old Testament prophets. In his book, God uh, tells a familiar story of his people. Um, he, he loved them. He, he desires a, a strong, connected relationship 
with his people, uh, but it required obedience. But the people of God, you know, 100 years post their Babylonian exile, they have stopped obeying God. They have demonstrated irreverence to God. They've, they've not feared God. They've been abusing the temple in a lot of ways. They, uh, their offerings were less than their best. They stopped tithing. They offered sick animals for their sacrifices. And more than this, when God pointed out their sin, the people actually blamed God. So that's pretty human of most of us. We, we understand this, this rhythm works. So let's just do a, a, a quick guide through the beginning, a couple of passages in the middle of Malachi, and then we'll go to Malachi 4. But starting in Malachi 2.17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. What a great way to start. A weary world rejoices. A weary God talks, right? That's where we're at, right? You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Malachi 3.1, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. My aim today is that we would recognize that in a weary world that rejoices, it's the one prepared is the one that rejoices. The one prepared rejoices. The people here, they were unable to recognize that their own corruption, their own disconnect from the ways of God and their economic struggles and their social struggles were actually because of their own sin and their unfaithfulness to God. They weren't following the ways that God had instructed them to follow. They felt like they, because they were the people of God, they deserved this ongoing divine blessing no matter what. But they were re- actually receiving divine afflictions. They were complaining about God's injustice in their own lives and ignoring the injustices that they were actually acting towards the one they were grumbling about. So there's people, the people of God, 100 years past exile in Babylon, they're weary. They're not experiencing what they they think they should be experiencing, what they felt they deserved. The Lord is weary because his people have been unfaithful. They stopped tithing, they stopped giving back to him, they they stopped offering blemished or uh, stopped offering uh, the, the the best of their animals and they were offering the blemished, the the leftovers as their sacrifices. But because God remembers his covenant, God continues to love them and seek their good. God reminds them of this truth in Malachi 2.6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. One of the most precious verses in the Bible, it's God relying on his own character for the good of us. That's good. Because that means he's not relying on my character or your character. But he's relying on his character for our good. So point number one today, God sends help because God is faithful. 
God sends help because God is faithful. Friends, this is why this is why we could stand here and, and, and stand amongst each other as sinners and, and worship God with a smile on our face. It's because we need God in our lives, a faithful God who's going to be there through it all. We cry out to him. We need him. God is faithful. He does not change. He's a loving God. He wants to bless us. But maybe this morning you're in the same place the, the Jews were. You're asking today, like, where, God, where are you? And this question may be where you start, but my hope you do not stay there too long. Because the truth is God is there. We are not the judge. He is not the defendant. I would make sure right now that you're living a life of fear and reverence for God as you ask that question. And this is where we best see life, through his perspective. Let's keep reading. Malachi 4.1, the last chapter of the Old Testament. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statues and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Point number two today, when God comes, there is judgment or joy. When God comes, there is judgment or joy. The day is coming, the arrogant, the prideful, the evildoers will be punished for their sins as we read, but Malachi 4.2, but for those of us who fear the name of the Lord, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. What, what picture does that invoke in your mind right now? When authority comes, either you will be rebuked or you will be rewarded. And this is such a stark contrast. Why? Well, let's consider this. There's two characters in the situation. There's the, there's the authority, and then there's us. And then the authority that's coming is going to have a certain amount of power or a certain amount of judgment, and it's going to be evaluated based on the faithfulness of us. So we have authority and we have faithfulness. As I was considering this, I, I began to think of, as a child, my father was in the Navy, and, um, and every year or so, he would be gone for six months. So that was my childhood. My father would go and serve our country. He would go live in other bases or be on ships. And uh, praise, 
praise the Lord, he always came back. My father is still alive. He always came back from those tours. Um, but as I got older, my father had conversations with me. David, while I'm gone, I would like this. I need you to do this. I would like this. And as a young man, six months would come around, and I knew the day was coming when the father would return home. And I would think through, okay, this, 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 this. And based on my faithfulness was how excited I was that dad was returning. There was either going to be rejoicing or there was going to be some trouble, right? But that's a son, earthly son and an earthly father. Now let's multiply that however many times that is to the glorious authority of God. This is why there's such a contrast between the judgment or the joy. Will we be faithful. Well, how do, how do we do this, Dave? Well, well in Malachi 4.2, there's this short phrase that helps us maybe align our lives better this Christmas. But for you who fear my name. And when you hear the word fear, do not think of a haunted house. Think of a reverence. Think of awe. Think of an understanding of respect. As a young man, I know my feelings about my earthly father, and there was fear. I was, uh, I loved my father, he loved me, and those expectations and the appropriate punishments that I for sure endured as a young man helped me understand he was the dad and I was the son, but he was right and I was not most of the time. And there was a respect for my father, and there still is today. Because it was all under the umbrella of love. My father cared for me and cared for my family. But as we shift gears to, the, to our spiritual father in heaven, the God, the judge of the entire universe, that is a level of authority that should matter to us. We should live lives of fear and awe and reverence about who God is and that he's coming. And it's in this fear that we will maybe live lives that are healthier, live lives that are better, live lives that honor Him, live lives that are less self-seeking and more others-seeking and God-seeking the way that He has asked us to live our lives. And when we hear or see Jesus in His return, we will be like calves leaping out of the stall, excited for the new day, the hope, of that young calf. And if we've been living selfishly and pridefully and arrogantly, we will be like the animal who cowers in the corner, in the dark, hoping they are not found. As my, uh, my role this morning for these 30 minutes of all of our lives, my hope is to give you the leaping calf story. That's my hope. And what I see in the scriptures is, but for you who fear my name. So that's one of our first personal questions today. When you think of Jesus, when you think of God the Father, when you think of the work of the Holy Spirit, is there any awe or reverence in your spirit? Do you care about God? Do you care what he thinks about what you do? Do you care what God thinks about? 
about what you think. My hope is that you do. May we all be like calves leaping out of the stall when he arrives. We get some instructions in verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. This is where the people have lost it. They have some false expectations that they've kind of forgotten God just thinking they could just do the bare minimum and it be just fine. They stopped worshiping correctly. Divorce was common. Idol worship was common. They no longer feared God. So there must be a change. So in verse 4, the expectations are giving, right? Follow the law of Moses. Follow the ways of God. He's telling them to remember what he's already told them. This, this will please me. You don't care about me, I can tell, because you don't want to please me by your actions. If they lived this way, they would be in right relationship with God. and There would be a great reward. But they wanted to do their own way and still get their reward. Verse 5. They had to wait for the sending. One day, Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their fathers, or there's going to be destruction. This is how the Old Testament ends. God says, I'm going to prepare for you a way. I'm going to, to save. I'm going to heal. I'm going to uh, redirect in a way. I'm going to do something miraculous. And this is how it ends. The Old Testament, the last chapter, the great silence of 400 years. And then we turn the page. The New Testament. We have four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want to go to Luke today. It's not the next book, but it's the next part of the story. Luke 1. This is... These are the chapters of the Christmas story. This is specifically the prologue of the Christmas story. This is setting up the coming of Jesus. Luke tells of a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Luke 1.6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. They were living out Malachi 4.4. This is good news. There are people in leadership living out the commandments of Moses. This is how Luke starts his narrative. Luke 1.8. Now while Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by law to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. 
and he fell, he, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So Gabriel tells him, in his old age, and his wife, who's advanced in years, is going to have a baby, finally. So this weary family is going to have a child. And there's rejoicing. He has been faithful in remembering the laws of Moses along with his wife. There's a great celebration. Gabriel's bringing this rejoicing in a weary situation. But there's so much more to the story. The angel describes their son, John. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers and the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So what has happened? Luke is beginning saying the silence is over. This is today's message. A time has come. The silence is over. The prophecy from Malachi is coming to pass now. John the Baptist will be born. And the spirit of Elijah will turn the hearts of people and prepare their way for Jesus. The preparer's birth has been announced. The prologue, the salvation of the world has begun. May the world be ready for the birth of the Savior. Here's our third point. Today, the wait is over. Prepare yourself for the coming of Jesus. The wait is over. Prepare yourself for the coming of Jesus. Malachi reminds us that God is faithful. He is the one that's doing the work because of God's character. And when he comes, we will experience joy or judgment. And Luke reminds us, that the wait is over. The prophecy of Jesus is here. So my question is, are you prepared? Are you prepared for Jesus to come again? In the same way the people were waiting for the Messiah to come and their salvation, were they, were they ready for Jesus? I mean, the Pharisees, not at all, right? Not at all. But the, but the poor and the needy and the fishermen and those who had open hearts to God, they were ready. And when Jesus said, come and follow me, they said, yes. And those that weren't prepared said, die, Jesus. Is your life today, not four years ago, is your life today aligned with the kingdom of God so if Jesus was to come back today, you would be leaping like a calf out of the stall in the morning, excited? Or would you be, I'm not ready. I thought I had more time to get some things organized. So are you prepared? As 
John the Baptist grew up speaking before Jesus, before the ministry of Jesus began. When John saw Jesus, this was his pronouncement. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the spirit of Elijah, the prophet, coming and saying, there's the Savior. The Lord is here. How do you respond knowing the Lord is here? There's two types of people in the room. I think the Bible speaks of it this way, so I'm going to speak it this way. There's those that are in the family of God, and then those that are not yet in the family of God or are not in the family of God, right? Those, there's two. You're either in the family or you're not in the family. And I want to begin by saying to those in the room that have not chosen to follow Jesus, you're not prepared. You are not ready for Jesus to come. But my hope is, is that you would make a decision to follow Jesus with your life. That you would see Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. Maybe your whole life has been you're just trying to please God. You're giving God a little bit here, a little bit there. You're like, maybe that's enough to make him happy. You're never going to give God enough to make him happy. What he needs is perfection. So your salvation is the Lamb of God who takes away your sin, not you taking away your sin. But how do you get this sin taken away? What's well, trusting in Jesus to do the work for you? Where he is the king of your life, not you. You have to re remove yourself from authority and say, Jesus, I will follow you. And when you live under his authority, confessing his name and his life and his death on your behalf, you are welcomed into the family of God. And my hope is that you would desire to be ready for Jesus to come again. Because he is coming, and it might be today. That's the most honest thing that I've said probably today. It might be today. Are you ready? But others in the room who've said yes to Jesus, are you obeying the commands? that you know Jesus has taught you. Loving others, forgiving others, living a life of generosity, caring, considering others better than yourselves, spending time with God. And the list goes on. As Christians, we know those things don't get us to heaven, but those things are rewards that God will reward for us when he returns. Those things are actually the most satisfying life you could live. Those things are things that please God. Those things are possible because God has loved us and now we can love others unconditionally. But Jesus said before he ascended, teach others to obey my commands. Obedience is important to God. 
in today's You Came to Church this Christmas season. My hope is that you're preparing yourself to celebrate Jesus, but you're also preparing yourself for the second coming. In a second, we're going to pray. We're going to have like some community prayer time. You don't need to say anything out loud, out loud, but that you would just pray in your heart. And my hope is, if you're one who's waiting to give your life to Jesus for that, that next thing you need to know or next thing you need to figure out, my hope is maybe this morning, today was the day you needed to be prepared. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you've already given your life to Christ, you've been baptized, you want to live for Him, that you will evaluate your life this morning and go, God, am I prepared? Search my heart. I want to be ready. I want to be the, the most excited person on the planet when you return. I'm so excited to see you. Let's pray those things right now together as a community. Jesus, you've been so clear in your word. You've been so clear. Everyone who calls on your name for salvation will be saved. So many in the room rejoice in that truth. We are so thankful that you do not expect anything but humility from us, that we would be give up our own authority and live under your authority. And you did all the perfect work for us, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You did that. Jesus, this morning, I, I pray for those in the room that aren't ready for you to come because they've never given their lives to you. That this morning, right now, as they hear my voice, they would consider saying, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want to follow you. If you're not a Christian this morning, and you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, would you look up at me right now? I can pray with you. Father, I thank you for the faith that is given to each one of us to say, yes, I need you, Jesus. Jesus, I'm sorry I'm a sinner. Sorry, I've sinned. I need you, Jesus. I need your love. I need your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for rising from the grave to show the power you have. And thank you for welcoming me into your family as I say yes to do, yes to you and no to myself. May I live a life that celebrates you, Jesus. A life that prepares for you. Amen. Father, I pray for those in the room. Many of us who carry around this baggage of sin that we know you have paid for, we know it will not keep us out of heaven, but we know that it is dragging us down. It is like vines keeping our tree fruitless. It's the weeds. Prune us, Jesus. Pray in your own hearts right now. Confess sin to God. Tell him you're sorry for things. Tell him you want to remove things in your life. Tell him you want to run in freedom and be prepared for his coming. Tell him that right now in your heart. 
Jesus, hear these prayers. Hear these prayers of your people. We're sorry. Father, I I pray for the weariness in the room as we all feel the weight of our sin. We are so thankful and we rejoice that you have died for all the sins of everyone in this room. We are thankful. We need your forgiveness. We need to feel it. We need to live lives that are free because the work you have done, what we see is truth in your word. Father, we need you. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, guide us. And all God's people said, amen.